Well, as you can see in your sermon title, get to talk about marriage this morning, um, particularly faithfulness in marriage. And we're doing this because we are in a study of the book of Malachi, which is an old, the last book in the Old Testament is one of the minor prophets. This is the last word um, in the canon before uh, uh, Jesus comes on the scene. And what we've seen already and what we're going to see through the next few weeks is that what Malachi is doing is he is addressing major aspects of life in the promised land after they, that Israel had returned from exile. Uh, the, the new temple had been built, uh, but yet they were still awaiting. Um, there was something incomplete about it, um, and they were awaiting the full scope of God's promises to come even still. But in that situation, the prophet comes and he calls out these major areas of life being worship. We looked at last week. We're looking at marriage this week. He's going to look at things like giving coming up and that kind of thing. And we are in this season of Lent. Uh, Maybe you follow that in your own household and maybe not. But this is just a way that the church has had to spend time on a regular basis in self-examination and repentance. And so Malachi for us is kind of focusing, is functioning as a way to help us do that. And I want to say right up front, I have a fair amount of trepidation about covering this topic, um, especially when we talk about divorce, which we are going to talk about today. Um, Marriage is a hard thing. Uh, It is a wonderful thing. Um, If you look at the statistics on divorce in particular, then a large number in this room is likely affected by it in one way or another either ourselves or an immediate family member or that kind of thing. And I want to acknowledge that as we go into it, that this is a, a very, can be a very emotionally weighty uh, thing to talk about, and, and rightly so. Um, and I hope to address a few things in regard to that as we go through here at different points. Um, I also want to acknowledge that not everybody in here is married, um, and not everybody has to be married. And I still think this is a good thing for us to talk about, um, not only because it's in the scriptures, but this is, for one, it gives us an appropriate view of what marriage is um, and how it's intended to function. Uh, And we we all look at it and have an impression of it, whether we're married or whether we're not. Um, But Malachi is actually going to say some things in here that it actually says something about God uh, in his character, too. And that'll be applicable to all of us whether uh, we are married or not. So all that to say of introduction, I want to go to our text and read it, and then we'll pray that the Lord would help us, and then we'll dive in and talk about it. This is Malachi chapter 2, verses 10 to 16. Have we not all one Father, and has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless, An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem, for Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. 
So guard yourselves in your spirit, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit, and do not be faithless. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we humbly come before you this morning and ask together that you would have mercy on us, uh, that you would shower us with your grace, that you would demonstrate your love for us. Be with the words that are said this morning. They would be true. They would be faithful, uh, that they would be challenging to all of us, and they would also heal um, in places that are very broken. Uh, I cannot do this, and none of us can do this, so we put what, what is... Well, we're about to learn together in your hands uh, and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I want to start off with an illustration um, from my own marriage, and I'll tell you, and tell you in front that I asked permission before I use this illustration. Um, a couple pro tips here. If you're teaching, it's always good to ask people's permission before you use them from up front, or you get funny, li- funny looks. Um, But when you ask people permission, particularly of a disagreement you have, you should probably ask them about one that you had actually had and not one that you had had in your own mind, lest you end up having that argument in actuality right after the fact. So um, I know you're all like, we're taking marriage advice from this guy. (laughs) So that's what happened. But anyways, uh, I have permission to use this illustration. So... And this is kind of a common representative thing in our household. We were, um, we, we really enjoyed, we had this community workshop a couple weekends ago. It was a really fun time we had with you guys. It was a lot of work to put it on and, um, you know, to, you know, be here for the weekend and that kind of thing. And my wife was over and above supportive and helpful in a way that wasn't really her job. Um, she volunteered to do things. She asked to help. Um, she bore me up at points where I was stressed. And it was a very convenient thing to have somebody who was so devoted uh, and helpful uh, in doing something that was good and that meant a lot to me and that uh, I was really excited about. Um, usually is the case when you know, I, I put a lot of effort into something there's that day afterwards that is also, you know, no matter how good the thing is, you just can't wait for uh, to be able to sit on the couch and maybe watch some TV, um, to do the things that you've been putting off for so long. And needless to say, uh, we had not communicated what was going to happen on that day. And so I came home, you know, the next day, the Sunday. You know, it was great. This was very helpful. Love you very much. Thank you for all your help. Now we're going to take a break here together, right? Uh, And then got this look like, um, I have just put off an entire week of doing things around the house and other things I need to do for you. And now you're telling me that you want to take a break uh, when now I need help. Like, I can't continue to live with these things that are stressful to me. Um, it's time for the shoe to go on the other foot and for you to give me some help. And so a relationship that was very convenient turned very inconvenient in just one moment. And that, you know, regardless of where we were, that we both felt like we had very different needs in the same moment. 
One of us felt like we, need, we had given so much we needed a break. The other had felt like they'd given so much and then they needed help. Um, and so the result was that I'm there cleaning um, in the living room, uh, pulled out the couch and there was a spill behind it and I'm scrubbing and it's like the resentment just starts to build. And you know how it goes when you're doing something like vacuuming or cleaning, like the more you scrub, it's, it's like it's working something in your brain. So like the resentment just goes up and up and up and up the more you're doing this. Um, and that's probably a pretty common example if, if I had to guess. It is, marriage is a wonderful thing that at times can be very convenient. Uh, it can be very helpful. Um, it can be just delightful. And then at the same time, when you put two people together who have very different needs, and at times those needs actually clash with each other, it can be very difficult. It can feel very inconvenient, and it can feel like, how are we going to make our way forward here um, when we can't agree on how to take care of each other? And that is a, that is a recipe for resentment to build up and to actually tear us apart something that was meant to be together. And that, but what we're going to find here, and Malachi is going to bring some of these things up, um, and that in the face of some of these struggles, that he is going to point his people back to God, and particularly the covenant that he has made with his people. And he is challenging the audience of his day, and he is challenging us to guard ourselves and to actively guard our spouses to guard against that kind of resentment that builds up. Because he is the one who has guarded his relationship for us. And he is asking us, as his people, to do the same for those that we are married to. I've got three points here. One, we're going to look at the experience of marriage, then the creator of marriage, and then the defender of marriage last. Uh, And that's how we're going to go through this passage. So the experience of marriage, I'm using this word because just to first we're going to unpack what is happening in this passage. What is the experience um, that the people of Mal- that in Malachi's audience, how are they experiencing marriage and how does our experience overlap? And there's two ways. He's bringing up two different issues here that are related. One pertains to getting married and the other pertains to staying married. So in the first place in getting married, there's a potential experience that we can probably relate to that the prospect of having a partner who we love is a very exciting thing. Somebody to love us. Uh, There's a lot of potential for joy. Um, There's a lot of potential for all kinds of good that can be very exciting. But what we find here in this passage, um, what he is saying is that Judah... The one who God has been faithful to is entered into a covenant with. They have actually been faithless in this way of um, marrying the daughter of a foreign god. And essentially, this is a fancy way of saying that they're being faithless by marrying a foreigner when they weren't supposed to. And this might sound very strange, and it probably should to us who live in a very multicultural uh, setting, that why does God have a problem with foreigners? And we have to understand a little bit about this, what this, how religion and nationality uh, work together back in this day. And that when we think about religion now, we more think about it in terms of a personal belief or a private belief that we have, and it's not connected to our nationality at all. But in this day, nationality 
and belief were very closely connected. It had to do with what gods we were under and what gods um, the people were serving. And there are plenty of examples like Rahab and Ruth in the history of, of God's people who were not of the same nationality as uh, ethnically as the Israelites, but they actually swore their allegiance to God. And they became part of the community and they were welcomed and that was an appropriate thing. Uh, their God was Yahweh. But here, when this is pointing out that the daughter of a foreign God, that these guys were actually going out and married people who were still underneath another God. So they were still loyal to this other God. They were foreigners in the sense that they belonged to a a different identity than the covenant identity um, that the people of God had. So all that's to say is that it would be akin to us of a non-believer, of somebody who doesn't uh, believe the same thing that we do, is not in the same um, relationship with God. Uh, Why are they doing this? Um, there's a couple, it doesn't say exactly, there are a couple of reasons why this could be. This was often done for economic benefit, and that this was a way of forging a treaty with somebody else. Um, so there could be a better familial gain uh, by marrying a foreigner. Uh, but it could be any other reason. And, and, but whatever it is, what's clear is happening that the potential experience of whatever this was going to offer was too great to pass up regardless of what had been said. And that, that the potential of what could be in this union was very, very powerful, and it was moving to them. And how does this relate to us? I mean, we know the feeling of love can be very strong. Um, whoever they may be, it can kind of make the whole world look different uh, than it had before. Um, the potential experience that could have can be a very powerful thing. I mean, marriage can bring material benefits to us in the same way. Uh, Sometimes just the security of not being alone um, can be so powerful to us to crave that it almost doesn't matter who the person is. Like, as long as that thing is filled, it is that potential that is the guiding factor between who we partner with. Um, And that would be, so in a lot of ways, our own experience is not to, maybe not, all that different uh, from what is here hundreds of years ago in Malachi. Yet we have to recognize here that there is actually, there's a danger in this and that the potential experience that that can bring can be such, it can make us shift some of the very fundamental loyalties that we actually have and how we view life. That's one, there's a potential experience of, of getting married, but then there's also this other issue being the experience of staying married. And if you look down in this next paragraph, verses 13 through 16, we see a very different situation. Um, whereas there are people uh, who are being faithless to their wife uh, because they are no longer pleased with them, then they're actually saying that that is justifiable in order to get out of a relationship. Um, that the experience of marriage can be very disappointing in a way. Um, and when that disappointment says in, sets in, it can bring up the question, is this worth it in the long run? Is there actually any worth to this of sticking it out? I do want to say one thing. This is verses 15 and 16 are two of the hardest verses to translate 
like maybe in the Hebrew Bible, they're very difficult. If you're, if you're looking at a Bible, you, you might see a footnote uh, down here that says a few things. Particularly in verse 16, then your translation might say, um, instead of the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, it might say that God hates divorce. And that the question being, who's the subject of doing the hating? Is it the, the man for the spouse or is it God for this? And I want to address that because that can be a very uh, heavy thing to hear, especially if that is in your experience. And for one thing, we have to understand that this is a prophetic text. This is not making up a new law. It is actually the prophet is calling us back to the original law that was being given, uh, particularly in Deuteronomy. Um, So this is what he is not saying is that for any reason, if you have had this in your story, that God hates you. That's not at all what this means. But it is saying, like either way you translate it, that this is... um, that there is a, a disunion here that was not intended um, and that is not a good thing. And in fact, if this is in your story, then you probably say something similar. Like, you know what? I hate it too. It's even if it happened to me that this, this caused a lot of harm in our family is a very, very sad thing. How does this happen? Like, how do we get to that point? And, you know, maybe, you know, when you've been in a relationship for a long time, then maybe the allure fades. Maybe the affirmation fades along with it. Um, maybe the differences we thought we could overlook over time, they start to feel very substantive. So it actually costs something of who, something very deep inside of us, um, who we are, these differences, and they're harder to overlook. Maybe it's the accumulation of little bits of broken trust over time that they kind of function like a credit card. So that the new ones after that, it's like they come with interest and they're bigger and bigger and bigger. There are all kinds of ways um, where this can break down. Um, What was intended to be one can break apart. And the experience of staying married is harder than we think it is, either in actuality or even in emotionally or physically or intentionally engaging with each other. So that's the experience of marriage. This is what is happening that God is speaking into in this time. And it is, I think, something that we can hear as well. But what he's going to say here in this second point is he is going to... How he addresses this is interesting. And you see here, if you're reading the ESV in verse 15... um, He refers to the fact that God made them one in their union. This is another difficult verse to translate. You might have a footnote in there too. But even at that, this whole passage, if you look at verse 13, is based under this idea that God made these people as one God. And there is something important about that, that this relationship actually reflects something about God. And that the disunion of the relationship is something that actually distorts who God is and what his purposes are. So in the end, what God is saying is that marriage, it is actually not initially about the people who are married in the, in the individuals. And that marriage is first about God himself. It is something that he made. It is something that he created. It is something that actually reflects his oneness in that union. And that before anything else, marriage is actually something that God owns. 
It's not just something that is in between the two of us. Just to illustrate, so I, I had to borrow a lawnmower um, about several months ago from my neighbor uh, because my relationship, uh, friendship, her relationship with me and Lauren, and it was her lawnmower. She let me buy it, and I brought it home and put it on the back deck, and I looked at my dog and said, I'll be right back. And I came back five minutes later, and the, the cord was chewed through already so that the lawnmower would no longer start. Um, so I, I said some choice words for the dog, but what I, what I did not do is I didn't look at the lawnmower and say, well, you're broken. This does not longer work. We need, let's mutually agree to um, let this relationship go. I actually had to answer to my neighbor. It was hers. She was the one who blessed it. She was the one who gave it to me. Uh, she was involved in my own relationship with this lawnmower. And that's something, that's an imperfect illustration, but it's something that the writer is getting us to see here. And this has implications both for getting married and for staying married. Like in the getting married, this is that if marriage actually reflects something about God, it is, is an act of worship. How we relate to each other is part of how we relate to God and is part of how we worship God and we honor Him for who He is. And that that worship is a central and important thing, even when some of the other um, experiences might feel more immediate. And it's the exact same thing in staying married. And that what if, and this is where we can think about ourselves. Like, have you ever stopped to think that you know, my marriage, I put all the work into this other person. And of course it is about them in a way. But what if ultimately is not just about us? It is not just about us that is being reflected here. That what if that even this union is actually proclaiming something else outside of us? Is that it, it has been given to us as a gift. It actually shows us something about who God is. And there's a ref, there is actually a relation between how we honor God and how we honor one another. They're not separate things, but they're related. And so what does this require of us? Malachi says twice, he repeats, if that is the case, to guard yourselves. An act of guarding yourselves. To look inside, to look at our own relationships with our spouses, and to take stock of what are the seeds of resentment. What are those seeds of disunity that are building up? What are those seeds of, of discord that are there? And this is not saying to not argue. In fact, I would encourage you to argue if you're married probably more than you do. But it does change how we do that. And that the motivation for doing it is about reflecting the oneness and the beauty of who God is. And it is not just about getting our own way. That's the creator of marriage that God wants us to see. There is a very high gift and a high calling to being a part of so powerful of a relationship. So we're moving into the third point here. And I want to stop here and to transition that with all these things being said, especially acknowledging the different stories we have here in the room, this is likely striking us in very different ways. In the first place, I want to say that if you're in a marriage that is an abusive relationship in any way, 
and you have the thought, does this mean that I have to stay in this marriage in order for God to be happy and in order for um, God to be honored? And that is far, far, far from what this text is calling of us. This is about maintaining a faithfulness and loyalty to God. It is not about harboring um, something that is deeply wrong, that needs to be brought out and needs to be exposed. And if that is you, then if, if you can tell somebody, that is the best thing, that is the best thing that can happen, rather than just stay and to take it. For many of us, it's different. Uh, for many of us, sorry about that. Um, see if I back up. For many of us, it's, it, the guilt might be something that comes up. Like we might look at our own marriage and the ways that we have broken it, and maybe we have broken it very, very badly. And when we look at ourselves, then we can say, maybe it's too late for me. Like, maybe the harm that I have done is too great. Um, you can say all these things you want to about what God calls me, but I haven't done that. And I have to live with the consequences now. What about me? Um, some of us might be angry. We might be pointing at our spouse next to us, saying, my spouse really needs to hear this. I hope they're taking this up and they will honor me better than they, than they are. Some of us likely are confused or maybe hopeless, so we don't know who's right and who's wrong. We're just tired and we don't know what to do with it. And these are the hard... I hope there are many of us in here that really enjoy uh, marriage as well because it is a wonderful thing. But so there, there's a great diversity in how this likely is going to, to strike us. And so what we want to do is I want to look at the defender of marriage here at the end uh, to look at God and how he has kept his covenant with us first. And then we'll kind of unpack um, how a few of these things relate. And this is if you see here that God is, one of the things that God is harping on is he is harping on the covenant that he has made with his people, the covenant of our fathers. That all of this is based on the fact that God entered into a covenant with his people where he said, I will never leave and I will never forsake you. He promised his steadfast love to this people. And the whole story is about this people again and again and again being faithless to God. Breaking the covenant. Breaking the marriage with God. And yet still, God says again and again and again, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And of course, ultimately, how does he do this? But he does this in Jesus. If we, you, can look at, you can look at, if you would like to, Ephesians verse, chapter 5, verses 25 to 27, that Paul says some very incredible things about marriage and not just our own marriage. What he actually says is that how God honored this covenant with his people is that in sending Jesus, he actually married himself to the church, to his people. And that rather than serving himself, when he was offended and by all rights could have, maybe should have left, he stayed. And in rather than demanding more, he gave everything. He gave everything he had for you so that he not you, would keep both sides of the covenant. It says that he did this so he could purify 
his spouse and make her clean and to make her white. This is, this is not only an example, this is a reality of what Jesus has done for each one of us. And to, to illustrate this, uh, when I got married, um, you have to know two things. One, Cleggs are famous for, um, for not being very emotive, uh, being fairly reserved people. Um, the other thing is, leading up to my wedding, I heard so many people say, you know, I never watch the wife coming down the aisle. I always watch the groom so I can see that goofy smile that he has on his face when she's coming. And so leading up to the wedding, like I had all these thoughts running in my head about how am I going to smile right? Because if I smile too much, I'm going to get made fun of afterwards. Um, If I don't smile enough, it's going to be, oh, that's just that Clegg coming out who can't, uh, who can't emote even in the most appropriate circumstance. Um, but you can probably guess, like when the music changed and all these, you know, the bridesmaids came down and then Lauren, she was walking across the field and she turned with her dad and she came. I still to this day have no idea what my face looked like. And I did not care. It mattered zero if I was smiling too much or smiling too little. Because that was my bride. She was coming to me. And I was as happy as I can be. This is the picture of what Christ has done for his people. As broken and as messed up as they can be. That as he clothes you, he welcomes you with the same kind of excitement and pride. More so than when I'm standing there waiting for my wife to come to me for the first time. This is a radical kind of love that we have. This is a radical kind of covenant keeping of what God has shown for you. So when we talk about marriage, we talk about all of these things. As we stand guilty, that is an appropriate feeling that we should have when we come before the throne of God. But that is not the only feeling that we should have. We come before him to his delight because he has given himself to clothe his bride in white. He is the great defender. He is the defender of the weak. He's the one who gave himself for them. Even the ones who are wrong. Like in this passage, he says he stands in witness with the one who was wronged. And he does that for us. Even those of us who are suffering in some way, he is the one who suffered for and with us. He is in fellowship with us as we seek out these questions, as we are tired, as we try to move forward, and as we try to live out this relationship that God has given as a gift and he has called us to at the same time. Marriage starts with that. It starts with the love that God has given us, with the security of who we are in Jesus, our ability to approach him and his commitment and love to us. And it is from that point, though, that there are also radical horizontal effects. That that is not something that can just stop with us. But this has a drastic implication about how we relate to one another. And that, you know, perhaps it can create a longing into us for something more. That the kind of faithfulness that we have received, that kind of love, that then we can turn around and we can share. Even if just a little bit. To show what that is like uh, with the one that we have been given. 
to rest in the security, to acknowledge the truth about ourselves rather than hiding it, to stand as we really are before our partner, and also to acknowledge that God is their defender just like He is in me, that He has done the same for them. As I stand exposed before Him, so do they. As I have been clothed, so do they. This is the basis of all our relationship. It is a walk of grace to be married together and through that relationship to actually walk with Jesus. It is a long journey of when we walk together and we fail and we have conflict and we go to him and we receive his embrace. And that grace turns us back that we can move towards each other. We can extend the same grace. We can extend a love like his. And then we will fail at that and be exposed and we go back again. This is a wonderful gift that we have been given, both in life, in companionship, in goodness, but also to walk with Jesus through being married. And I'm sure we could we could we can include other relationships in this as well. It is a countercultural walk. It might sound like devaluing yourself to give yourself up for somebody like this, but to be valued the degree that Jesus has valued us is a radical thing. And what else could matter? What else could matter if we have his delight on us? It's a journey that we are invited on of knowing our spouse, of leaning into them, of knowing them, of being known, and all through that, walking with Jesus in the same way. Let's pray together that God would help us, that he would open us up, that we would receive his love and be able to share it. Father, thank you for your grace that you've given us. Thank you for the wonderful gift of marriage that you've given us. Thank you that you have clothed us. Thank you that you have called us to know you in a new radical way. We pray that you would help us, that you would knit the couples in here together. You would be with those who are single, who long for this. And that in all these things, as we think about and relate to marriage, you would make yourself known. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.